Hi, and welcome to the Fleet Navigator podcast, your go-to GPS for all fleet matters from Lease Plan. I'm once again joined by my colleague, Caroline Sandler-Mansur. Morning, Caroline. Good morning. And today we're talking about the budget. So where are we? Well, Wednesday the 23rd of March marks the two-year anniversary since the country went into lockdown and a beleaguered Chancellor Rishi Sunak rose to his feet in the Commons Delivery Spring Statement to a packed house sans masks. But before we get into analysing the budget's contents, and don't worry, we will, it's worth setting the scene. Originally, this spring statement was meant to be a quick and slender document. The Treasury billed it as little more than an update on the latest official economic and fiscal forecasts. But then, as they have in the past for Sunak, events intervened. Russia invaded Ukraine, and international supply chains, which were already pretty stretched thanks to Covid, broke down even more. Oil and gas supply in particular has been hit very hard. And it's all had a knock-on effect on prices around the world and in Britain. The cost of living is rising at its fastest rate in decades. The cost of just petrol and diesel is, as we all know, reaching pretty record highs. So suddenly a simple update wasn't enough. As the spring statement drew closer, it became clear that Sunak would have to take proper legislative action. In the end, that's kind of what he did. The spring statement turned out to be something in between the slimline thing that was originally planned and a full-blown budget like the one Sunak delivered last October. It didn't contain many new policies, and certainly not many for fleets and drivers, but those it did contain were quite significant. So let's have a look at the economic and fiscal backdrop. But before we get onto those policies, there's a bit more scene setting. So alongside every budget or fiscal statement, the Office for Budget Responsibility, or the ABR, the government independent forecasting arm publishes its official forecasts for the economy and public finances, and these are what underpins Sunak's policy decisions. And they're what he was hoping to just update us on this time. But even though there ended up being more eye-catching stuff in the spring statement, the OBR's forecasts are still worth dwelling on. So after all, they indicate the economic environment in which we'll all be operating over the months and years ahead. So what does that environment look like? And so often it's a mix of good and bad. On the good side, public finances, the money that Sunak taxes from us and spends and borrows, have emerged from the last two years of pandemic in a better shape than the OBR previously expected. And that's why the Chancellor was able to afford a series of tax cuts, which we'll go on to a little bit later. On the less good side, OBR now expects the overall economy to grow significantly more slowly than it forecast at the time of the autumn budget. So this year, for example, it now anticipates that the economy will grow by 3.8% compared to the 6% that it previously reckoned. Next year, it's 1.8% down from 2.1%. There are some upwards revisions in subsequent years, but only small ones, and they do not alter the OBR's expectation that the UK economy will grow by around one5 to 2% a year in the medium term. And there's potentially worse news when it comes to the cost of living or inflation. Back in October, OBR forecasts that the main measure of inflation, Consumer Price Index, which we call CPI, would increase by 4% this year. And now it forecasts a whopping 7.4% rise, which would be the highest annual level of inflation for about 40 years. It then foresees a fairly hefty 4% rise in 2023 before the numbers simmer back down to more normal levels 2024 and beyond. Potentially compounding the issue, the growth in average earnings is now expected to lag behind inflation, both in 2022 
when according to OBR, average earnings will rise by 5.3 percent and 2023 2.8 percent. Family budgets are therefore likely to be stretched. Of course, we know the main reasons for OBR's warranted pessimism, the war in Ukraine, the persistence of the Omicron variant, but these factors also introduce an extreme amount of uncertainty into the discussion. The numbers could improve in future if the situation improves, but they could also deteriorate rapidly if the situation deteriorates. And in fact, one of the most striking moments in Sunak's speech was when he warned we should be prepared for the economy and public finances to worsen, perhaps significantly. And we should indeed be prepared as businesses, fleets, families and individuals. Thanks, Caroline. So... Let's, that's all the scene setting done. What did the statement actually contain? Well, I guess probably the most significant thing for fleets was the fuel duty cut. So this warns policy specifically for fleets and motorists, a big one, certainly in terms of the attention it's getting. Sunak has decided to cut the main rate of fuel duty by five pence in order to help motorists who face record petrol and diesel prices at the pump. For the next year until March 2023, the rate will be 52.95p a litre, instead of the 57.95 it had been frozen at for over a decade. This cut took effect at 6pm on the 23rd, the day of the spring statement, so we're all feeling the benefit of it today, or we should be if the petrol pumps and the supermarkets have put their price down this morning. This is undoubtedly good news. Since the beginning of this year, the price of petrol has risen by 14%, while diesel has risen by 19%. Anything that stalls these increases must be welcomed. However, the effects of the fuel duty cut should not be overstated. Both petrol and diesel rose by more than 5 pence a litre just last week. So what Sunak's generosity is doing is taking us back to the prices of a few days ago. And if the trends continue, then the discount could effectively be wiped out in just a few days' time. So what happens next with fuel duty? Well, of course, there's now the question of what Sunak will choose to do next March when this temporary cut comes to an end. The answer will, of course, depend largely on fuel prices. If they remain high, then the cut might continue. But if they've returned to more normal levels, the Chancellor might find it hard to revert back to the old level of fuel duty. The past decade of freezes shows just how reluctant governments are to increase this particular tax. But there's also a bigger question ahead about fuel duty and its very purpose. As more and more people climb into electric vehicles, then the revenues from taxes on petrol and diesel are going to fall dramatically. And indeed, according to a report published by the Tony Blair Institute last year, the Exchequer stands to lose £30 billion by 2040. A spokesman for Boris Johnson responded to that report at the time, saying, We need to ensure that the tax system encourages the uptake of electric vehicles and that revenue from motoring taxes keeps pace with that change. We will set out our further plans in due course. And it was speculated that these further plans would feature in last year's autumn budget perhaps in the form of a review into alternative forms of taxation that can be applied to both fossil fueled vehicles, electric vehicles such as road user pricing. Yet that announcement wasn't in the autumn budget and it wasn't in the spring statement. This huge historic question about motoring taxation remains unresolved. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, it's 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 a question for all of us. Will there be a consultation document launched in the summer? Um, again, we were expecting that last year. Um, well, let's just let's just see if world events do calm down by the summer and we do get something more on road user pricing. So what about other tax cuts and the tax plan 
the state of affairs is slightly ironic because the Chancellor actually published a separate tax plan alongside the spring statement yesterday. This was marked as his vision for a lower tax economy to be achieved within the current parliament, which is another way of saying 2024. But in truth, it isn't much of a document. It's only six pages long if you don't include the covers, and the font size is pretty big as well. The tax plan mostly draws attention to some of the other measures that were announced in the spring statement, including a £3,000 increase to the threshold at which people have to start making national insurance contributions, which means from July this year, the threshold will stand at 12750 effectively a tax cut worth hundreds of pounds a year for millions of workers, and a reduction in the main rate of income tax from 20% to 19% taking effect in 2024. These are big policies, they will have a positive effect on people's living standards. But the plan itself is rather thin, particularly when it comes to some of the details that fleets and motorists have been listening out for. Indeed, so let's think about what was missing, and that brings us on to company car tax. When first became Chancellor, Sunak was good about warning us of all of the upcoming company car tax rates. He set out all the numbers up to and including the financial year of 24-25. However, it's almost 22-23 now and Sunak's positive record is starting to tarnish. We still don't have the company car tax rates for 25-26 or beyond. They weren't in the autumn budget and they weren't in yesterday's spring statement either. It's possible that they may emerge in some other budgetary document in the weeks ahead. But in the meantime, we must implore the Chancellor to do better. Because of his delay in announcing these company car tax rates, fleets entering into three or four year contracts today are unable to properly plan for the future. And that's not all. There are all the other tax reviews that were announced in previous budgets, but have since gone quiet. In 2018, a consultation was set up to look at how road taxes could better incentivise the uptake of cleaner vans. And in the spring budget 2020, Sunat did likewise for cars, publishing a call for evidence on how government can use VD to further encourage the uptake of zero and ultra low emission cars. But neither of these has resulted in actual policy changes yet. And we can add to that list. There was a review announced last summer into which new hybrid vehicles should be permitted to remain on sale after the 2030 ban comes into force, and another on whether vehicle manufacturers should be mandated to sell a certain proportion of zero-emission vehicles, but the spring statement brought no news about either. If some of these ideas have been dropped, then the Chancellor should really tell us. And if not, then he should confirm the details as soon as possible as the fleet industry needs as much information as possible in order to fully prepare. So, in conclusion, of course, all these processes should be given time to reach proper conclusions. But the point remains, there is a lot of potential legislation hiding in the background at the moment. Perhaps the next proper budget this autumn may bring some of it to light. And perhaps in the meantime, we should remember where the spring statement began as a simple update on the latest economic and fiscal forecasts that was then hijacked by events. So let's excuse some of the emissions for now, but we'll expect to hear more from the Chancellor in due course. And of course, you'll be hearing from more from us in due course. There's more Fleet Navigator podcasts on the way. The guide to the budget is up on insights.leaseplan.co.uk now. And not forgetting, we have the well-published Fleet Funding Guide coming in the next month or so. So keep your eyes peeled for that one. Remains for me to say thank you to Caroline. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Matt. And we'll see you soon.